It was a cool, clear night in Jerusalem. Barnabas patted the bag of coins that was attached to his, his belt while he was standing among hundreds of fellow believers as they sang, they shouted, and they declared together, Jesus is the Messiah and we are forgiven. It took his mind back to three days earlier when a recurring phrase went through his mind, the field, sell the field, Joseph. It was the Holy Spirit, and he obeyed. The next morning, within hours, the field of Joseph was sold for nearly twice the asking price. Now he gathered his thoughts, made sure the bag was intact. This was his offering, every penny of the profits from the sale of Joseph's field. He wanted to make an inconspicuous placement of the gift before Peter, but the apostle noticed. Fellow people of the way, God has answered our prayer. We will eat tomorrow, and it's at the hands of Joseph, my name is but he was interrupted by yet another apostle who with a large grin shouted, no, your name is not Joseph anymore. You shall be called from this day forth Barnabas. Welcome to week two of our legacy series. 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 10 and 11 are a theme phrase. Let's read it together. Christ died for us so that we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are doing. Today's message, friends, is to affirm what so many of you are already doing at home, at work, in your neighborhood, and in the church. As we learn about Barnabas, there's a phrase my daughter Katie talked to me about. She learned this at college. Pursue Paul. Be Barnabas and train a Timothy. As we look at that middle third of that maxim, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, speak to us today, and I pray for anyone here today who is feeling overwhelmed, exhausted, misunderstood, discouraged. Give them encouragement today through Scripture and your Holy Spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grab a pen or pencil. Be willing to write or just listen the whole time. Check your neighbor's ribs. See if they're attentive and strap in. Go ahead. Do that now. Okay. Today's story begins with Stephen. He was chosen as a distributor of food by the elders in the fledgling church of Jerusalem as the believers grew. This was an articulate man, full of grace, power, and wisdom. But infuriated Jewish leaders shook their fists, gnashed their teeth, plugged their ears, and proceeded to run towards him and stone Stephen. And by contrast, he calmly fell to his knees and prayed for them, Father, do not hold this sin against them. As he died, the first martyr. 
Satan had a plan to squelch the church right away. But as the believers dispersed away from Jerusalem, dozens to even hundreds of miles away, Satan's plan backfired. Amen, church? Now let's meet character number two. A man named Saul was one of the witnesses to this martyrdom. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. We're told he even held the garments of those who did the evil act. A Jew by birth, a Greek by culture, and a Roman citizen, he was born in Tarsus, about 360 miles north of Jerusalem, and was trained as a Pharisee at a young age. Though he was diminutive, uh, uh, historians suggest he was short, not a ton of hair, maybe bowed legs. He sounds like I'm starting to become. Uh, and he apparently had some sort of problem with eyesight, but had a fiery disposition and a loud voice. He kind of reminds me of like a Danny DeVito. He was eager to kill the Lord's followers, Acts 9 verse 1 eager to kill the Lord's followers. But once again, Satan's plan backfired. En route to Damascus, we know the story well. And wanting to chase and find these scattered saints, he met Jesus. Witnesses heard his voice, but they couldn't see anything. The light was so bright. A dramatic transformation had taken place, and God made it clear to a man named Ananias that Saul was a chosen instrument to take the good news to the Gentiles. Chapter 9, verse 15. Saul began testifying to his conversion right away in Damascus and learning about Jesus in the deserts of Syria. The first we hear about today's character, Barnabas, is in Acts 4, verse 36. He was from Cyprus, the third largest country in, or island in the vast Mediterranean Sea, which has 191 islands. Uh, this Cyprian was a Hellenistic Jew. We don't know if he was among the 70 who Jesus called out in Luke chapter 10, or was he possibly among the 500 who saw Jesus ascend into heaven? Maybe he was in the 120 in Mark and his mother Mary's upper room, or perhaps at the very latest, among the 3,000 who became believers on the day of Pentecost. But what we do know for sure is how he received his nickname. The apostles saw and noticed a gift in him. God gives his people different gifts, the purpose of which is the building up of the church. Have you pondered and asked the Lord to reveal to you your gift blend that you have? Gift blend. Barnabas's gift blend was a mixture of encouragement and uh, pro prophecy in the sense of forthtelling. His gift blend was what we could call exhortation. When I hear gift blend, I'm picturing myself at the Swatara uh, coffee brew saying, hey, I'd like a Barnabas blend. <laughs> I wonder what the barista or whatever they're called there, what would they give you if, if, a Barnabas blend? Do you think they'd come out and say something encouraging and something confronted? Like, you look very nice today, but you smell bad. <laughs> I don't know, but try that sometime. Uh, but anyway, he had caught wind of the converted Saul, and he was impressed, and the Holy Spirit pressed on his heart, this is a good man and my chosen man. And the Holy Spirit gave peace to Barnabas. So when Saul, now known as Paul, came back to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. 
pop your hand up if you really can't blame these guys, okay? I like the way the artists have them going, oh, what do you think? The artist portrays Paul here in green standing in the back. The passage goes on, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. The Greek implies that Barnabas took Saul, now Paul, by the hand and came in front of the apostles and said, look, he's the real deal. You can trust him. The artist here is portraying Barnabas in the back sitting, uh, uh, sitting behind him uh, to symbolize vouching for him, he's wearing magenta or something like that. Now, a mentorship had begun. Barnabas, by now, well-respected among the people of the way, had earned a right to be heard. And so he spoke. He came alongside Paul, and they became a dynamic team. Barnabas took the younger Paul underwing, like Sherlock Holmes needed Mr. Watson, like Mary, whom we're going to learn about next week, had a teammate in Elizabeth. Now, mentorship still happened today. Look at this picture, if you will, of Ken and Diane. Barnabas had earned the right to be heard, and so he spoke. If we could just advance to the next slide, I have a beautiful picture here for you, and maybe it's stuck. Here, there we go. Look, there's Ken and Diane. We're going to go back one, if we could. All right, I'm just going to go ahead and read. We're going to look for Ken and Diane's picture, if we could. All right. Uh, yeah, Ken had a professor at LBC, Don McCulloch, who saw something in him that Ken didn't see in himself. Don provided Ken with meaningful ministry opportunities. We see in Don, as a mentor, that encouragers can encourage by believing for the best in a trainee. Now, next to him, trust me on this, is a young picture of Dave Bauman and his late wife, Miriam. They were serving together in Hawaii with Youth with a Mission. Vernice Smith, Dave told me, was a professor and spiritual father to Dave. Dave went on to say, once as a young squirt, he said, I made a mistake during a tent service. Vernice took him out later for a snack, and Dave said that he lovingly addressed my error in private, and I am so grateful. Mentors encourage through constructive criticism. Now, do we have the picture up there? Don't they look just lovely? Ken's a stud center midfielder. Dan, loving the shades, girl, okay? Now, let's look at another pair of of uh, pictures. We got the wonderful Gary with his red hair, okay? And uh, just want you to know, this is something that Gary shared. It. Gary, you really robbed the cradle with the wife there. I mean, what a beautiful picture of you guys and your oldest child, I assume. Uh, Gary said, Rod Conover, did I pronounce that correctly? He was my youth leader and jogging coach, then my pastor, then my co-pastor, as we co-founded a church and served side by side for 20 plus years. Mentors we see here encourage as they sharpen each other over the long haul, over periods of time. Now look at dear Josh and Laura here. Josh, I love the soul patch, okay? Josh said, Sam Fisher and Mark Zeisloff both made an immense impact on me. During the formative years of my ministry, as of so many others, 
Josh points out to a great fact here. Mentorship, mentorship is a tapestry of many participants working together. Name to your neighbor now, just briefly, someone who mentored you vocationally, relationally, spiritually, musically, athletically. You got 10 seconds. We can go to the next slide then. Let's talk about Antioch of Syria. 300 miles north of Jerusalem, on the east coast of the Mediterranean Sea, the third largest city in the world behind Rome and Alexandria, uh, Egypt. It was a haven for pleasure seekers. Some biblical scholars consider it a Las Vegas sin city where there was gambling over chariot races. There was worship of uh, a goddess named Daphne and Terrible immorality was happening there. But many followers of the way had arrived there, uh, scattered from all over, and they had formed a church. The elders in Jerusalem said to Barnabas, hey, dude, go up there and check it out. So what does Barnabas do? He travels a hundred, no, 300 miles. I had to do the math. 300 miles largely by foot to get there. How awesome, though, that Antioch is the first place outside Jerusalem where a church would form. Believers were first called what at Antioch? Christians. When Barnabas arrived and saw this evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy, and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. You know, guys, Barnabas saw that God in his grace could change the lives of the ugliest sinners, and he still does today. Do you see in this passage, though, joy, goodness, and faith? These are fruits of the Spirit. They're indicators of the fullness of the Spirit in a believer. May I make a legacy challenge to you? While we're so tempted to have our legacy maybe be about financial gifts to keep for our children, or making sure we look fit, or have a comfortable lifestyle at the end of our lives, may I submit to you that another goal to aim for would be to have a life whose, whose fruits are indicative of being full of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the nine fruits of the Spirit just briefly. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. I think there's a lot of melodies coming, coming out of there, but one thing that we could do in our legacy building is to build these fruits into our children and youngsters, but also maybe to think of them in a more detailed level. Lord, may I have a love for others where I love them as much as I love myself. And Lord, may I have the joy that is the strength that to get me through. May I have peace despite financial difficulties. And jumping all the way to the end, may I, may I Lord, build into me self-control in my diet and in my choice of words and tone and heated arguments. A challenge to you is to ponder the fruits and to seek to have your life bear those fruits. Guys, Barnabas realized that the work at Antioch was too great for him to do alone. So he went to Tarsus, and he found Paul. This is about 10 years later, by the way. And together they ministered to the fledgling church, who one year later felt called to sponsor a missions trip. 
The elders worshipped and prayed and fasted. And I hope that you occasionally fast to show God that you are serious about matters. And then they selected Paul and Barnabas, laid hands on them, prayed, and sent them on their way. I would like three teams now to come front and the elders who are in our service to come front too. We're going to mimic what was done in the first ever missions trip. Please come front. Do not be shy. Elders, we, we ask you to come as well if you are here. I just wanted you guys to know that the Camp Orchard Hill team, raise your hand if you're in the Camp Orchard Hill team as you come front, they will be supporting local ministries in Dallas. The Puerto Rico team, pop your hand up as you come. They will be engaging in sports and English camps and doing whatever the conscious feel led by the Spirit to have them do. And pop your hand up, North Carolina team, as you come front. Okay, they will be engaging in storm relief efforts and construction and probably some destruction for Hurricane Florence. Let's clap for these three teams and prepare to send them off. And Bob Daly, one of our elders, would you commission them? Let's pray together for these teams. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a sovereign God who is always at work in this world. I thank you that you choose us to be a part of that work. And I thank you for these teams of youth leaders and teens who are willing to be hands and feet of Jesus in this needy world. May they be soft clay in the potter's hands, allowing you to mold them into the servants you have created them to be. May they find joy in serving Jesus. May the joy of the Lord be their strength. May the week of service turn into a lifetime of service. I pray for safety as they travel. I pray for unity so that they will see what the body of Christ, the church, is meant to function together, working in a unified way. I pray, Lord, that each member of the, of the team may have a personal, intimate time with you, Lord, as they meditate on your word, meditate how they, you want to use them in building your kingdom. Each one of these teens and leaders is a special workmanship created by you for good works. I pray that they would love the people they serve the way that Jesus loves them. I pray that they would understand what an encouragement they are to this church as we see their willingness to be used by you. May we, the older worshipers in this congregation, be faithful in supporting them through our continual prayers. Bless them. Make them a blessing. May they be cheerful givers of their time and energy because we know that you love a cheerful giver. Lord, we again thank you for them. We thank you as we, as we look at teenagers that are willing to give their time, their efforts, their energy. May we be encouraged by them, and may we be an encouragement to them as we faithfully support them and pray for them. These things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Bob. And let's send them off again with a loud applause. Here's a map showing the dynamic duo's missions journey. 
The first stop would be Barnabas's homeland, Cyprus. This is the first ever sending out of an intentional missions trip in history. Right away, Barnabas sees Paul's gift of teaching and his ability to defend Christianity almost in a legal argument sort of a skill. So he begins willingly to take a less prominent role. I read for you now. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John Mark was with them as their helper. It was actually now a team of three. Mark was Barnabas's cousin. Some translations say that Mark was uh, Barnabas's nephew. This was a great start to the trip, but it was not without challenges. The governor wanted to hear about Jesus, but a sorcerer tried unsuccessfully to stop his conversion. And sadly, as they departed across the creek to get into Asia Minor and landed at Perga, Mark said, guys, I'm leaving. That can be tough when a missions team has an unexpected uh, snag. Our challenge team had a snag at the start of their uh, trip last week. Pop your hand up if you're, uh, you were on the challenge team over there. Uh, we welcome you guys back. So cool to hear you were worshiping together with 3,500 other teens praising the Lord together. Yes, thank you. And I pray that you share the light with us that you learned. Guys, the rest of the journey required Barnabas's gift of encouragement because, wow, listen to a quick summary of the challenges. Mountainous terrain, forming churches from scratch, angry mobs. You guys sure you want to go on a, on a missions trip with this list? Uh, death threats. Uh, we're certainly expecting that not to happen. It was a different time, okay? Being mistaken as Greek gods. Don't you hate when that happens? Uh, I mean, just all the time. Who are you? Uh, you know, historians think that Barnabas was taller because the Greeks thought he was Zeus, the master god. They say he was perhaps significantly taller than Paul, quiet, but maybe good-looking, almost like an Arnold Schwarzenegger would look like. Uh, and uh, then, of course, Paul was stoned in Lystra, and apparently a, a miracle happened because the next day he got up and said, okay, Barnabas, let's go on to Derby." <laughs> you know, the, the sticking power is amazing. And in Derby, something cool happened. A young man named Timothy became a believer. Huh? Despite all that stuff on the return trip, they passed through the same cities that had kicked them out, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. So then these guys arrived back to the church at Antioch, reporting how the Lord had worked. Sadly, a few years later, there was a reunion tour scheduled and a bitter dispute separated Barnabas and Paul. It was over Mark. Should I go there? Ah, why not? So Paul basically said, Arnold, he's not good enough to let him go again. He cut us out the last time. Okay, and Barnabas said, no, he's a good man. He has learned very much, Danny. We're going to, we're going to try him again. And they parted. Guys, believers might have disagreements. You have some disagreements on all sorts of things with good believers. It doesn't diminish your faith at all. Sometimes there's a necessary parting. And you know, if there's one positive that came from this, now there's going to be two dynamic duos going out. Who was Paul's new Robin? A man named Silas, a great man. Luke doesn't mention Barnabas after chapter 15. Uh, historians agree that Barnabas was probably martyred 
brutally in AD 61 in Cyprus with Mark watching uh, and then privately burying him the next day. This is not in the Bible, but it's in some historic documentation. There's a church in France that claims to have Barnabas's head in the basement in a museum, but other historians say, no, he was not decapitated, he was martyred. But the, the goal of this is to, to, to just show you that there was a sad ending for a great man, but his legacy lives on. Let's look once more at the key verse of this week's message. If you were to memorize one verse from today's message, I would encourage that you write this on the tablet of your heart. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You and I should want these things to be true of us when our legacy is written. Barnabas' legacy can be seen in four areas. First, it was a legacy of generosity. Second, it was a legacy of affirmation as Barnabas vouched for a man in whom the old was made new, a man in whom the Spirit had lit the flame as we just sang earlier. That man was Paul, who had gone to travel 10,000 miles, write 13 of our epistles, half of the New Testament, before dying a martyr's death also, very likely a beheading at the hands of Nero. Paul, I submit to you, would have been significantly less impactful without the quiet, profound ministry of Barnabas. Third, Barnabas adjusted his role as Paul's influence of speaking gifts grew. But don't think that Barnabas stopped breathing into his protege. I could imagine a few conversations in their travels where he spoke to the young squirt, thank you Dave for that great quote, to give some constructive criticism in private over lunch. Finally, we see the heart of an optimist. Barnabas saw in his young cousin Mark great potential, and he gave him a second chance at ministry. He forgave and forgave quickly and fully. We know that his optimism was substantiated because later in life, Paul said, please send Mark to me as he can be of a help. Did you know also that Mark went on to write the first of the Gospels. Who knows what impact Barnabas had on him. R. Kent Hughes of Wheaton University says it so beautifully. He says, how beautiful is the ministry of Barnabas, giving a word of encouragement, confirming others' gifts, reconciling believers with believers, taking a risk for Christ in human relationships, promoting the ministry of others, rejoicing in another's success. God mightily uses men and women like Barnabas for his glory. You know, while in prison shortly before his death, Paul wrote to the Colossian church that was discouraged and feeling vulnerable to outside criticism and deception. So Paul admonished them, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Paul's style of encouragement there reminds me of military training. Chief Warrant Officer Lee Jones served our country in active duty for 13 years Today, he uses encouragement as part of his Black Hawk instructor pilot training for the Pennsylvania Army National Guard. I've seen him at soccer games encouraging all of the players, the coaches, and just being an, an exhorter in a wonderful way. Lee, it's a gift that God has given you. And I've asked him to just give a specific example of two of how to weave exhortation and encouragement into the technical things in our work. 
Let's give an appreciative and encouraging applause to Lee this morning. Oh, you can hear? Okay. Yeah. Good morning. We'll try that again. It's all up, uh, all downhill from here, I guess. Uh, so I've been an instructor pilot in the uh, Army for about 14 years now. Uh, currently, I have two sets of students uh, that I'm training. Um, so right now, specifically, I teach people how to take, go from flying an older Blackhawk, uh, the UH-60 Lima model, to the new Mike model series Blackhawk. So imagine, if you will, you, uh, you've been talking all your life on a flip phone, right? And you, uh, you got to push the button three times to send a text. That's and me. <laughs> Pastor Dan's like, yeah, oh, okay. I, I talk on a flip phone. And now I hand you like the newest smartphone. That's kind of what I have to, have to deal with when I'm teaching people to go from the old aircraft to the new aircraft. Um, I have these students for about six weeks. Uh, the first three weeks we're in uh, ground school and simulator only. And my goal is in those first couple weeks is to teach them to do a pretty complex maneuver with the aircraft. And that is, I want them to fly and land that aircraft without seeing the ground. Nothing but the systems, nothing but the instruments. You can't do this in the old aircraft, and it's a big ask. So how do I get them there? I break it down into small, small tasks, small things they can understand, small things they can practice. Um, I call it little victories. So we get a lot of little victories those first couple weeks, and then we kind of culminate it with that maneuver about two weeks in. And they tend to have a lot of encouragement from that. They get a lot of pride, and it kind of drives them through for the rest of the class. Uh, I actually had a pretty good experience with this class. Uh, the first day we took them into the aircraft, uh, we didn't have very good weather. Um, about 900 foot ceilings, three miles visibility. It wasn't very conducive to taking them up and doing visual training. Uh, so I looked at my students, I'm like, hey, guess what? Uh, we're going to the aircraft and we're going in the clouds. And their eyes got about that big. <laughs> what I didn't know was my students had, uh, they're pretty low time pilots. And between the two of them, they've only been in the clouds once or twice. So as soon as I heard that, I'm like, yes, all right. <laughs> so we take off, and the big reveal, we go in the clouds the first five minutes, and I just look at him, and I ask him, like, so what do you think? It's like, it wasn't that bad at all, right? Uh, just, it's been my experience. You know, Pastor Dan, he sent me a text asking me, what do I tell my students, and how do I kind of encourage them? And uh, FYI, if you answer Pastor uh, Dan's text the week before he's given a message, you may be speaking in public. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, uh, my answer to his question was, you know, initially, it depends, right? And it's personal. Uh, sometimes when you're encouraging people, you got you to gotta hold their hand and you kind of walk them through that process. Sometimes you just need to be present, right, while they kind of work it out. And sometimes, uh, like when we put them in the cloud, sometimes you got to give them a, a good old push. Um, well, anyway, Pastor Dan, I hope, uh, oh, appreciate you having me up, and uh, thank you so much for your, your message today. Let's thank Lee. Oh, that's awesome stuff. Lee, you're my top gun, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, your workplace, your family, and maybe you yourself are in need of not necessarily technical advice, but spiritual encouragement. Among adults today, and even among younger adults, and I see it in our schools, many Americans are suffering from depressions and anxieties. It's skyrocketing. And I believe the enemy has been proactive in spreading a virus called discouragement. 
Dave Shire, my buddy, mentions a mentor who shared about discouragement that happens in prisons. He observed, and Dave relayed to me, that through interviews, young men who are incarcerated often, not always, but have not been told by their fathers as kids three things. I love you. I believe in you. I am proud of you. Fathers, I'd like to look you all in the eye now. Tell your children you love them unconditionally. Tell it by your words and your actions and that you believe in them and are proud of them. You know, outside prison walls, it's no different though. There's a sinister norm, I believe, of silence originating in the pits of hell and seeking to quiet the church and its people from speaking the name of Jesus into situations. And our calling as believers is to carry the light into dark places through a ministry of encouragement. Lori Fisher, this acrostic is for you. It's a shout out to you, girl. It's on the back of your sermon guide. First, encouragers give generously. They tithe. They give encouraging tips to a hardworking server. They make a meal that might be costly. We're not talking SpaghettiOs. We're talking, you know, pasta, hand-grinded in the backyard. Uh, but I would like you also consider generosity as a generosity of time. Would you consider a tithe of your leisure time? Let's say you have an hour of free time tomorrow night. Consider taking the first six minutes to call and encourage someone. Encouragers are also generous in their mercy and generous in giving honor. Consider saying to that cashier as you're waiting in line, hey, has anybody told you what a good job you're doing? Second, encouragers listen well and they ask questions. Let's be excellent at listening without our own agenda. Open-ended questions move a conversation deeper. Consider taking a Barnabas challenge shown at the back of your sermon. Oh, you're on the back, sorry, no. At the bottom of your sermon guide. The four minutes is just a suggestion. I don't want you to do this, okay? Here's my four-minute attempt to speak, to listen, and, and not insert my own opinions. So I'll set the timer. Hello, hello there. How are you doing? Doing pretty well? Good, good, yeah. Uh. Oh, your tall ladder's having a problem. Oh, I didn't hear right. It's your gallbladder. Uh, how is your gallbladder? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, y y yes, I'm having gallbladder issues also. Uh, as a matter of fact, my my kidneys, they just almost erupted the other day in my bladder. There I was at the, at the Palmyra Theater. Oh, I'm just getting a text here. Pardon me. My, I, I was sitting there waiting. Should, should, should I see the, the, the T-Rex eat the man or should I go take care of business? First, I'm just not sure. And it was just terrible. But thank you for letting me encourage you. And that's the four minutes. This is not how we do it, okay? We want to listen well and ask open-ended questions. Let's have our phone away at times. Third, encouragers offer optimism. Barnabas avoided the Eeyore syndrome. Paul is probably going to revert to his old ways. Using instead possibility thinking. 
Maybe he has changed. And the Holy Spirit will help him to change. Consider reciting Philippians 1.6 over those that you train and encourage, and even over yourself. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Fourth, encouragers work alongside Isn't a do as I do more prolific advice than do as I say? Some of my most meaningful opportunities to to encourage have happened, missions teams, as I worked alongside in the mundane, painting, scraping, pulling horsehair, plaster off of walls, because then it was just in the mundane, working aside each other and listening to each other. Great settings for encouragement. Fifth, encouragers inspire trust. Your journey, your job skills, your unique giftings have been honed over time through the good and the bad. They have earned you the trust of many who are watching you and counting on you. Even though their confidence in you may never have been verbalized, you've gained the voice in the journey. Use that voice. Fight against the norm of silence. Sixth, encouragers never give up. Paul and Barnabas, for for example, they came back through the very cities that had run them out of town, trying to kill them because many were living in darkness, without hope, without light. Don't give up on the spiritually dead. And in your suffering, friends, whatever that is right now, continue to be a witness. Your character speaks volumes. Finally, exhorters breathe courage into others. Just as Lee said to those scared trainees, yes, that said to them, hey, he believes that we can do this pretty well. Just a wonderful example. Uh, An example of speaking courage into a man is when God himself says to Joshua, no less than five times in Joshua chapter one, be strong and courageous. What specific people in your sphere of influence need to hear you say to them, I am standing with you? As we see in this acrostic, the word glowing, the giving of encouragement is not contingent on our emotions. It is not word service only. It is action-based. Emotions might accompany your service and your encouragement, but they don't drive our calling. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is what we're going to do right now. Let's think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. May I add, this comes from Hebrews. Some scholars argue that Barnabas may have been the author of the book of Hebrews. If so, it makes sense. Because look what he says. Let's not neglect our meeting together, as some do, but encourage each other, especially that the day of His return is drawing near. If you're 70 or older, that number was just arbitrarily chosen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Every single person, 70 or older, be affirmed by the body. body. You are in the autumn of your life. Uh, You're a huge asset to your family and you're beautiful. None of you have been mistaken as Zeus or Hermes, but we think of you as beautiful people. And you know, sometimes in this world, you might feel irrelevant, but you are actually people whose wisdom is needed more than ever. More than ever. 
We trust you like the early church trusted Barnabas and Paul. And so receive this exhortation. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare, the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. Receive this prayer of encouragement. Lord, I thank you for our gray hairs in our church, the wisdom and hope and strength they give us by their lives. Bless them, prosper them, and expand their influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Applause again as they sit. We love you. We love, love, love you. If you are 26 to 70, that's a big summer. Stand up. Summer of life. Some of you are early summer. Others of us, the fall harvest is beginning to show, okay? Life is busy, maybe exhausting at times. Maybe you're discouraged or anxious as the sandwich generation. Maybe you're overwhelmed by the speed of cultural change, by a child who has strayed. I say to you today, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And don't stop talking to your trainees. I'm paraphrasing the book of Acts here and what Paul and Barnabas did on their return trip. Encourage those you impact to remain true to the Lord with all of your hearts. As you sit, we applaud you again. Remember, middlers, Jesus said that he left us a gift. Yes, the Holy Spirit, but he mentions another gift in John 14, verse 27. Peace of mind and heart. Have you opened that gift? Are you opening it daily? This is a peace I give that the world can't give. Don't be troubled or afraid. Now, if you're 25 and younger, stand up now. You're in the springtime of your life. I'd like to say they're clapping because of your beauty, but I'll be honest, very few of you are as good looking as the older folks and you're not as wise as those meddlers. However, you have many untapped gifts. Start well, brother, start well. Are you gonna start well? That's good. Receive advice from loving mentors. Mike, are you gonna do that? Advice from loving mentors. They have a lot of wisdom. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity, and do not neglect your gift. You hear me, Kayla? Don't neglect your gift. Say, I won't, Dan. Oh, I love that. I drove with you to Katrina. You kept me awake in Mississippi. Now we're gonna pray for this group now. Would you reach out your hand? If you're near a, a, a youngster, put your hand on them now. Lord, may these precious lives be still and know that you're God. May your Holy Spirit give them a fresh anointing to be the Barnabas of their generation. 
Amen. I want you all to know we love you, we believe in you, and we are proud of you. Let's clap for them now. Two Moody Bible Institute roommates were a dynamic duo. One could write lyrics, the other could pen uh, melodies. They came together a hundred years ago and wrote a song about being a Barnabas. It is called, Make Me a Blessing. And I would like us to sing that in 10, 9, do that, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, Three, two, at a nice tempo, let's do this and make this your heart's prayer. If you don't know the song, pretend, let it in your heart. Out in the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is right. Making the sorrowing glad Make me a blessing Make me a blessing Out of my life May Jesus shine Make me a blessing Oh, Savior stand now and do one song of spiritual warfare. Would you stand together and hear God's word? God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. Let's speak the name of Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. 
Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Cause your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety to every soul captive by depression I speak Jesus your name is power your name is
leaving a legacy that speaks the name of Jesus over your challenges, your hopes, and your relationships. Lord, be enthroned among the praises of your people. A thousand generations repeat together, you are worthy, Lord of all. May the God of peace, who brought the blood of the eternal covenant back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Guys, please grab one of these books per family. We want them all gone. Please take their compliments of the the voice of the martyrs. Consider following them on Facebook or Instagram. Be blessed as you go. Be an encourager. Be a Barnabas.